0: Hi, everyone. It's time for another story from 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and I have a legend and a mystery for you today. Tonight's story, The Other Friday Night Lights, takes place in Texas and involves a story about a very unusual Texas phenomenon called the Marfa Lights, M-A-R-F-A, which were first witnessed by a rancher back in 1883, and they still continue today. The story of The Marfa Lights is full of urban legend and accounts and makes great subject matter for some storytelling here. Meanwhile, my title, The Other Friday Night Lights, was inspired by the title of H.G. Bissinger's book, Friday Night Lights, A Town, A Team, and a Dream, a monster bestseller that inspired an Academy Award-winning movie, followed by a very popular television series. The story centers around the economically depressed town of Odessa, Texas, and their heroic high school football team, the Panthers. And what a story it is. If you drive southwest from Odessa, which is about a two hour and 45 minute drive, you'll reach Marfa, a small desert town in West Texas, not far from the Mexican border. Population around 2,000, and it's known best for what is commonly called the Marfa Lights Phenomenon, which you can watch most nights from a viewing platform that was built nine miles east of town on the south side of Route 90 near an abandoned air base. Watching from here, you're looking across the Mitchell Flats to the Chinati Mountains about, about 50 miles distant, and it's from here that thousands of curious watchers are able to witness the moving lights, called the Marfa Lights. Of course, the skeptics will tell you you're seeing a type of light refraction from headlights passing on a small highway in the distance. The problem with that theory is that there were no headlights back in the 1800s, where our story begins. In the 1870s, in the Texas Panhandle, much as it is today, ranching was a preferred way of making a living. Winters out there can be brutal and ranchers needed to ride up into the out-of-way places to round up their strays. A rancher named Giddens, who had a spread that bordered the Chinati Mountains, was no exception. His quest for strays took him up into the mesas and rugged canyons of the Chinatis. He was searching for missing livestock near the old abandoned mining town of Shafter one evening when he was caught high up in the mountains by a sudden blizzard, a whistling blue norther. A blue norther, also called a Texas norther, is a fast-moving cold front marked by a rapid drop in temperature, high winds, and dark blue or black skies in broad daylight. The temperature in a Texas norther can drop 30 degrees in just a few minutes. He was enveloped quickly in darkness, and the storm was carrying snow. It was a dangerous situation to be in. Blinded by the storm and the darkness, and knowing that he had to find some kind of shelter fast, he began groping his way along the hillside, leading his horse. His hands and feet were quickly growing numb with the cold, and he feared for his life, knowing that the chances that he would either freeze to death or fall off an outcropping were growing stronger by the minute. Suddenly he saw lights encircling him, several of them, flashing lights, welcome lights. How he knew they were friendly and welcoming, he had no idea, but they seemed to be talking to him, telling him that he was three miles south of Chinati Peak, "'and headed in the wrong direction. "'Furthermore, the lights somehow told him "'that he was dangerously near a precipice. "'He must follow the lights or die that communicated to him. "'So he followed the lights. "'They led him to a small cave "'which was shelter enough to save him from freezing. "'The largest of the lights remained in the cave close beside him "'and provided light to see and even some warmth. "'He sensed somehow that these lights were spirits from long ago "'and perhaps far away.' "'and they wanted to save him. "'Soon he slept "'and ended up surviving that frozen night. "'The next morning the lights were gone, "'and so was the blizzard. "'He stepped out of the cave "'and found his way to the outcrop, "'and right where the lights had told him to turn around, "'there was a steep cliff. "'Had he continued, he realized "'he would have fallen off the cliff and died. "'It was a long way down. "'In time, the rancher told his story to his daughter, "'and she passed it on from there.' One of the people she shared it with was Ed Sires, author of The Ghost Stories of Texas. He credits a Mrs. W.T. Giddens of Sundown, Texas, explaining that she grew up on a ranch in the Chinatis near Shafter. And in his book, he credits Rancher Giddens as one man who witnessed the Marfa Lights up close and personal. Our story will continue right after these sponsor messages And now we continue with the other Friday Night Lights. Another man named Robert Reed Ellison was the first to write about the strange lights, which he witnessed in 1883. He thought they were Apache watchfires, which was a cause for alarm for ranchers and settlers and miners back in those days. Geronimo didn't surrender until 1886, and there's a very interesting story about Apache killings in that area continuing through the 1930s that we'll cover one of these days soon. As the story goes, Ellison, whose wife was accompanying him in a wagon, was driving cattle through Paisano Pass when he saw a flickering light. As they watched, the light split apart and seemed to move about, disappear, and then reappear. Later, other settlers told he and his wife that they too had seen the lights, but when they investigated, they found no campfire ashes or indications of humans in the area where the lights had been seen. All they could it up to was that it was a strange natural occurrence. Over the years, other observers witnessed the lights and came up with their own theories, some having to do with natural geological or atmospheric possibilities. Maybe it was moonlight reflecting off mica, they said. Phosphorescent minerals, luminous swamp gas, or maybe piezoelectric energy caused by small earthquakes. Maybe it was St. Elmo's fire, reflected starlight, static electricity, or ball lightning. From there, the theories expanded and got a little silly. Alien spaceships, and how about jackrabbits with glowworms on their tails? One legend that has endured surrounds Alsate, the last of the Chisos band of Limpia Mescalero Apaches, to live in that area of Texas. Some say the lights are the spirit of Alsate, who was condemned to wander in the Chinatis because he had offended a tribal god. But many more say that the lights are his watchfires as he seeks the man who betrayed him and his people, and that version has a history. According to a story told by O. W. Williams, who was a surveyor in the Big Bend area of Texas in the 1880s, again Big Bend, which is now a national park full of hiking trails in history, the Apache chief Alsate was the terror of the border between Texas and Mexico for years, raiding both sides for cattle and captives, and taking advantage of the fact that the rurales couldn't chase him across the border into Texas, and the Americans, with their Texas Rangers or the 8th Cavalry in pursuit, couldn't legally pursue them into Mexico. Not that they didn't try it. Local bandits also joined the Apache raids and provided further trouble for the law on both sides. The Mexicans finally enlisted a negotiator named Leonicio Castillo, who pretended to be friends to the Apaches while secretly working to begin a program of exterminating them. His message was that the Mexican government wanted to make a treaty with them and make a reservation for them, similar to the ones currently being created in the U.S. On these reservations, the Apache would be provided for, their women and children would not need to go hungry, and the Apaches would be free from being hunted down like wild animals. Castillo even had papers, fraudulent but impressive-looking, with gold seals and ribbons, to show Alsaté and the others as proof of Mexico's willingness and sincerity. It took some time, but Alsaté finally agreed that he and his band would come to San Carlos in Mexico to be offered the treaty, and there they would be provided with a grand fiesta. They would receive presents and provisions, Castillo promised. Alsaté agreed to go, and on the selected date he placed sentinels on nearby mountaintops to warn him of any danger. That year is believed to be 1879. His men then entered the town and were treated to gifts as well as a huge feast of roasted beef and goat with a Mexican drink known as mezcal, and by evening most of Alsaté's warriors were drunk. Their sentinels, waiting to get in on the fun, abandoned their positions on the hilltops and joined the festivities. Two companies of Mexican soldiers moved in late that night, surrounded the encampment, killed some of Alsate's warriors who tried to resist, and captured and shackled the Indians, including Alsate and his two lieutenants, Colorado and Zurillo. They were marched to Oginato, opposite Presidio on the Rio Grande, and there executed by a firing squad. This was believed to be just one version, until in the 1930s, "'Alsate's grandson confirmed it. "'Soon after, sheep-herders and vaqueros swore "'they saw the ghost of Alsate as he searched for his killer. "'They said that lights would appear. "'The lights of ghostly campfires he was setting "'to call back his warriors. "'Others said his widow climbed the mountains "'to light fires to call him back. "'At any rate, the ghost lights became attached to Alsate in legend. "'Mexican rurales became fearful of the growing legend "'and searched the area.' There was a key where the ghost lights had been seen often and they searched for that and found it. It showed signs of recent occupation and they started calling it Alsate's Cave. The rumors of an uprising led by ghost warriors so unnerved Castillo that he left the country. As the legend goes, the ghost lights stopped when Castillo left. A few years later he returned and the lights began again. At that point Castillo had had enough and left for good but the lights never stopped. According to Williams' account, the bravest and most curious finally reached the cave. As legend has it, it was there that they found the remains of the great chief Alsate near the ashes of a long dead fire. One version of that old legend has Castillo escaping the country through the Chisos and Chinati Mountains and stopping in a cave one night to camp. While staring out at the rock facings on the mountain ridge facing the cave, according to legend, is remembering his betrayal of Alsate and the rest of the Apache. Then his eyes fixed on one of those ridges in the moonlight, and the exact likeness of Alsate's face appeared on one of the ridges. He turned his head away and faced the back of the cave, but couldn't escape the sudden wind that sprang up, taking on Alsate's voice as it cried out for his soul. There is a rock face in the Chisos today, which has been spotted and photographed by hikers, and it's called Alsate's Face. Those entering the Chisos from the north and driving south from Persimmon Gap can see it on the right it seems carved into the west face of Casa Grande Peak. Yet another legend is told about Alsate's ghost, this time telling of how he fell in love with an Indian maiden. The young woman was loved by another, however, who threatened to kill all rivals. This warrior stalked the maiden to their meeting place, intending to kill Alsate, but killing the maiden by mistake. He then carried her lifeless body up into the mountains. It is said that the lights seen in those mountains are the souls of Alsate and the maiden Searching for one another. In the early 1900s, some adventuresome cowboys went riding into the Chinati Mountains looking for the source of the lights. They found nothing. Later during World War II, when the Marfa Army field was an active training ground for Army pilots, some of the recruits made it their mission to solve the mystery. They tried buzzing the lights from the air, they bombed them with sacks of flour used as markers. Surveyors and reporters followed up, but found nothing. The lights headed toward Mexico and just winked out. Before long, rumors sprang up about pilots being lured into the rock faces of the Chinatis. Another local urban legend states the civilian pilot mistook the Marfa Lights for landing lights and crashed trying to land his plane. In the 50s and onward, the Marfa Lights became the thing to chase across the desert on weekends for high school students and off-duty military. According to one wild story, one team of army experts drove a jeep out into the desert. Quote, determined to find out what the lights were all about or died trying, End quote. The men never returned to the base. According to that legend, when a search party went out the next day, all they found was a wrecked, burned jeep and no soldiers, no footprints, no sign that they ever existed. When the truth finally did come around, the true story was quite different. A group of soldiers had commandeered a base jeep during a drinking spree and went in search of the lights. They didn't find the lights, but the driver did find a boulder that seemed to just spring up in front of the jeep, and he swerved, still managing to hit the boulder, but flipped the jeep, doing lots of damage to it. Knowing that they were in a lot of trouble, but too drunk to come up with an intelligent decision as to what to do from there, they made matters worse by setting fire to the wrecked jeep and decided to make the lights the culprit in the cover story they created. More Marfa Lights urban legends followed, almost always involving vehicles. One of those legends has a car being chased across the desert by a 10-foot-tall light at speeds approaching 100 miles per hour. When the light finally quit the chase, the driver discovered that the rear end of his car had been scorched as if it had been on fire. Then there's the great urban legend about the boy and the girl who parked on the old abandoned airfield at Marfa. The lights appeared, and the girl began to scream. Immediately, her boyfriend started the car, slammed it into gear, and peeled out across the old landing strip. The lights gave chase, gaining on the car. The young couple could feel the heat pursuing them as they sped faster and faster. Then the tires blew out. They swerved to a stop and ran from the car, never looking back. They hid through the night in the desert outside the old base. When they returned the next morning, the car was melted down and still smoldering. The students at Sewell Ross State University in nearby Alpine have contributed greatly to the legend through the years, adding accounts of students who went in search of the lights and never returned. In 1980, Stan Redding, a reporter for the Houston Chronicle, and his photographer Carlos Antonio Rios, were, as he put it, dispatched to check out this Marfa light thing and see if there was anything to it. As the two men drove down a dirt road on the flats of Paisano Pass, east of Marfa, the lights not only appeared, but appeared to pose, while Rios snapped pictures. According to both of them, the lights were almost close enough to touch, Stan Redding wrote that they darted about the ground, red, white, and blue orbs, baseball-sized. They would blend into one and then separate. One would zoom high into the air and then plummet down to disappear in the brush, only to pop up again later and spin away crazily. Unsupported and unattached, each illuminated the brush over which it was hovering. Others have offered very similar descriptions, always mentioning the lights moving up and down, side to side, and blinking on and off. Generally, one to three lights appear, and the colors can be white, blue, green, red, and sometimes pastel colors. Their size can vary from baseball size to cantaloupe sized Hallie Stillwell, a rancher who has lived in the Big Bend country almost all her life, said that from a distance, it looks like a big headlight. It just kind of flickers along the mountain. They might cover a section or two of land, then they'd light up and run across the mountain, kind of like a brush fire, she said. This description brings to mind a similar account of strange lights seen over the Russian Urals during the years of the Jatlov Pass incident, where a group of cross-country skiers disappeared and were later found having met their deaths in a violent way. Russia was then suspected of doing a lot of nuclear testing in the area of the Urals, and those moving lights were a common occurrence. We covered the Jatlov Pass story at 1001 Heroes, and it is a chilling account. I encourage you to listen if you haven't already. That's a Jatlov Pass, spelled D-Y-A-T-L-O-V, and then Pass, P-A-S-S. Maybe that abandoned air base in Texas has some secret buried there that the government would like to forget. That Army base was originally built as a cavalry outpost called Camp Marfa and used to serve as a base from which the 8th Cavalry, known to us as the Buffalo Soldiers, could patrol the Rio Grande and protect settlers from marauding Indians. It was later modernized and named Fort D.A. Russell, which was used as an Army Air Force base until it finally closed on October 23, 1945. It had six asphalt runways and was used for pilot training, seeing its share of B-25 bombers, as well as other twin-engine planes. At the height of World War II, it housed over 3,500 personnel and was closely tied to the little town of Marfa, which thrived during the base's existence. Curiously, there were seven auxiliary bases built with landing strips, all within a ten-mile radius of Marfa. They were also abandoned at the end of World War II. In 1989, the NBC TV show Unsolved Mysteries paid a visit to Marfa, conducting interviews with the locals and bringing in scientists, technicians, and spotters. They marked, using special lights, a stretch of Highway 67 that was visible from the viewing stand in order to rule out the automobile headlight theory, and then started filming. At one minute before midnight, an unknown light appeared. Host Robert Stack described the light as looking a ghostly shade of gold. The light faded from view and soon returned as bright as before. The scientists agreed that the light was not man-made, but they couldn't agree what caused it. In May of 1991, members of the Southwest Ghost Hunters Association arriving at three separate times for their investigations, and well-armed with spectral data on all kinds of automobile, city, and ranch lights, came with the mission to determine what was producing the strange lights. In the end, they declared that the Marfa lights were actually just headlights coming from a distant road that wound through the mountains as U.S. Highway 67. The Marfa lights have become a major tourist attraction and weekend attraction for more adventurous locals. Every Labor Day weekend, the town of Marfa puts on a festival called, as you might guess, the Marfa Lights Festival, although they're working to get away from those strange lights being the main attraction. In one recent article, they pontificated greatly regarding their culture and art center, and never mentioned the lights. Big mistake, say some old-timers. How does that saying go? Never ignore the one who brought you to the dance. And football coaches have a saying like that as well, referring to the fact that you should never ignore the tried-and-true plays that got you where you are. Never forget, the one who brought you to the dance. By the way, the Marfa Shorthorns varsity football team will be playing Midland this fall. So if you're in Texas, the Friday night lights are still and will always be the main attraction. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. We appreciate having you with us. We appreciate you sharing our show with friends, and we appreciate you taking a moment to send us a review. Until next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, everyone. This is your host, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon.